All right. I want to encourage you to take a seat, and we're going to get ready to get started. So if you are visiting with us today for the first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, after the service, we have a fellowship time out in the foyer. And uh, if you uh, would like to stay around for that, we have uh, coffee and some snacks. And it's a good opportunity for you to meet some friends, okay? Next Saturday morning, uh, Pastor James is going to be doing his seminar. And uh, that is the seminar on life transformation and handling conflict. So I know most of you don't have any conflict, but if you're like me and you have conflict in your life, okay, and you want help with that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those life skills that all of us need to learn. Any of us that have done premarital counseling or marital counseling know that perhaps one of the, the greatest struggles that we deal with in workplaces and communities uh, is the area of conflict. And it's important that we have a biblical understanding of that issue and are able to navigate that effectively as God's children. So that's next Saturday morning, 9 o'clock to 12.15. It's a free seminar. Uh, men and women are welcome to attend. Um, also, on the flyer that you were given when you came in, you see the information related to choirs. If you're interested in the adult choir, we have 20-some people in that. And uh, you're welcome to join that today after the service. And then probably from that point on, we need to tighten up on that, uh, on that group. So probably this will be the last Sunday you could jump in and participate in that. Operation Christmas Child, next Sunday is the last Sunday that you can bring boxes for that. And uh, if you have any questions on helping with the cost of shipping related to the boxes, uh, make sure you see Rita Sosnovic, who's sitting right. Rita, can you raise your hand? She's right under the clock. Okay, see her. If you have any questions related to with how you can help financially with getting those boxes transported. The only other thing we want to announce this morning is the I Heard the Bells Christmas movie that we will be showing. Uh, all the details you need for that are on a card. You'll have an opportunity to pick these up on the table as you leave, and uh, some of the folks will be handing them out at the door as you leave. So all the details you need for that are on there. There is a QR code on that card that can be used to um, access the um, movie trailer. Okay, so if you want to show that to a friend, scan that, tap the screen, and it'll play that uh, trailer for that movie, and I think that'll be a really helpful way to share that. Okay, the only other thing I want to mention is next Sunday morning, we'll have a, just a brief baptism service during our season of worship. I get a young man that is just desirous of getting baptized, so that'll be next Sunday morning as well. I want to ask you to stand with me, and uh, I want you to help me uh, read this passage of Scripture that's uh, going up on the screen. Okay? So let's read this together. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Father, as we come this morning, we are grateful for the many blessings that you have poured out upon us. Lord, though we live in an imperfect world, though there is pain, though there is suffering, we are grateful to know that you have searched us and tried us. You know our ways. You know everything about us. And Lord, as we come this morning to worship you, we pray that you will open our hearts by the work of your Spirit to see your glory, 
to find hope and to uh, bless and praise your holy name in every day of our lives. Uh, Father, our continued prayer is for uh, Diana Kelly and Linda Matthews as we just continue to ask that your favor uh, would rest on them in a very unique and powerful way. God, we're just my, my simple prayer, God, is just that your healing hand would rest on their lives and that you would restore them for the glory of Jesus' name. Uh, Father, bless as we sing your praises this morning. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit so that we may behold truth about you we have not seen before. Thank you for our guest speaker today. Your blessing would rest on him as he shares truth with us. And I pray that through it, uh, our lives would be changed and you would be more glorified through us. And we pray these blessings in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Let's worship him together.
God and Heavenly Father, thank you for these truths. Lord, thank you that you never stop working, Lord. God, if anyone here is just worn down or numb uh, by the week, the work week, um, having endless kids to juggle, I know what that's like. Uh, family issues, Lord, um, the family members who are sick, this, that, and the other, Lord, I pray that we would hold on to the words of this song that you never stop moving. That is who you are, Lord. You never give up. Even when we are tired, even when we forget, you continually pursue us and you work in our lives, in the lives of our family members that we want to see saved, in the lives of our children, and in us personally. Father, as I sing the rest of the set, I pray that the words of these songs wouldn't just be the things that we read off of the, off the wall. Lord, let them be the song of our heart this morning. Lord, I pray that this place would absolutely fill to the point of overflowing with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you that we can be complete realists as we look at the world around us. It is a world that's filled with a lot of pain and sorrow. It's a world that's filled with war and hatred. Father, we would pray for your peace in the Middle East, in Ukraine. And Father, We would also be remiss not to thank you for the many veterans in this country that have fought for us through the years. May we honor them. May we thank them for what they have done. Our ultimate hope, though, comes in Jesus Christ. And that's why we can face life for what it is with hope. Because we know how the whole story is going to end. And that gives us great joy. We would pray for any that would be with us here today that have never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day in which they bow the knee for life and hope and meaning is all in him. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, children uh, in junior church that are do, doing junior church, you can leave at this time, and there'll be somebody back there to help you with junior church. So, folks, we have a special treat. If you're with us for Sunday school today, um, uh, one of my good friends and colleagues uh, at Lancaster Bible College Capital Seminary spoke and kind of gave us the big picture of the book of Genesis in about 20 five minutes, which was amazing. I was watching him because I know him, how many times he wanted to go off and keep talking on things. And you were very disciplined. I was very, very impressed, actually. Um, So John Soden, Dr. John Soden, um, John John to me, you can call him John too, he'll be fine with that, Um, received his PhD degree from Dallas Seminary, was in the pastorate for about 10 years, and then taught in in the seminary and in Bible college for about 25 years. But God has called him to missions now, and he'll probably tell you a little bit about that at the beginning. After the service, when you go out, there's a table right there, and it has a bunch of brochures on it. It gives you, tells you a little bit about his ministry. You can sign up to receive his prayer letter, which I really would encourage you to do. And one other aside, um, he is actually taking a trip to Israel in May. 
and it's still planned at this point, okay? My wife and I are going. And there's still some open slots, so we have brochures back there. If you're interested to talk to him about that, he'll be back, he and his wife, lovely wife Janet, I'm sorry, John and Janet, uh, Janet. We all know this as guys, nothing would really happen in our lives if it wasn't for our wives. So Janet is just a wonderful, you should meet both of them afterwards. So we're so glad that both of you came. Anyway, you can ask him any questions you want about the sermon, about the brochures, about his ministry afterwards. Uh, he'll tell you briefly about it, but bulk of what he's going to do is actually lead us, uh, preach to us from Genesis chapter 4. So, John, if you'll come. Um, Thank you, Doug. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Doug. What a privilege. I, um, I appreciate the invitation, the opportunity to share with you guys. Um, and... Sherry said that I had about three hours. Is that about right? <laughs> Some of you may notice that Genesis 4 has a few questions that you want answered. Um, you may have to talk to me afterwards about some of those. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. <clears throat> but uh, I look forward to this. Um, this is an interesting time of year. Uh, it just... It seems kind of crazy to me that Thanksgiving is the week after next, week and a half to Thanksgiving, and then just around the corner is Christmas, and I hear already announcements being made about Christmas, right? <clears throat> in fact, we were just up in Minneapolis with our daughter and son-in-law and noticed that their neighbor already had the tree up in the window with the lights going, and I'm thinking, really? <clears throat> is it time already? In fact, if we look at our culture, the Christmas decorations are in the stores. I don't know what happened to Thanksgiving, but they missed it. Our, our culture skips over Thanksgiving, except for Black Friday, of course, and straight on to Christmas. But I wonder, it seems to me that there's a problem there. Because when we come to Thanksgiving and Christmas, as believers in Jesus, we come recognizing that God is the good giver of everything, and we must give him thanks. We can't skip Thanksgiving because his ultimate good gift is Christmas. And Christmas isn't just about the wannabe peace and joy found in the newest toy. It's about the reality of peace and joy found only in God's solution to all of this mess that we're in which is Jesus, and it's really bowing before him. And that leads us to worship. Worship is, well, it's a matter of life and death. And what we think about when we come to worship, whether it's Christmas or even the normal Sunday morning, we already sang it. We worship you, we worship you. My question is, and this is my question for us, it's not just my question for you. When I come to worship, am I? When I say I worship, do I? And in fact, how do I know? How do I know if my worship is acceptable or not acceptable? How do I know when God looks at me, he says, worshiper, or not so much. My heart 
and I'm speaking for myself here, my heart is not an easy thing for me to see. And there are all kinds of things lurking in there that I don't like. So how do I offer to God real worship that honors him, that he accepts? And honestly, that's where life and death comes from. Life is in worship. Life is in honoring God. Death is in rejecting him. So how do I evaluate? Now, clearly, and I do need to make this clear, I'm not saying that if I come on a Sunday morning or if I offer to God unacceptable worship that I am damned forever. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about that separation from God that my sin causes. And the choices that I have to make then as to whether I will come to him in repentance and faith or whether I will continue to walk away from him and experience the death effects that will ultimately lend in eternity. Now, eternity is based on my faith in Christ. It's true. But my faith in Christ is based on my acceptance and worship of God. They go together. And if I am following Christ by faith, I am necessarily recognizing my need, as we talked about earlier today, of repentance from those times when I recognize my sin. So I say all of that by way of introduction because what we see in chapter 4 is really a symptom of a deeper issue that's common to all of us. So the problem is, one of my problems as a human being is that I tend to focus more on the immediate and the external because I can see, touch, and feel that than on the internal and the eternal because I can't see it nearly as well. So what that means is I'm going to focus more on the show and tell, external and immediate, the experience, and I'm going to have a harder time focusing on the heart, on the real source of life, which is what I need. And that's what God calls us to, the eternal, the transcendent the issue of the heart. Genesis chapter 4. Turn with me if you have your copy of God's Word. And if you're wondering where that is, start at the very beginning and go forward a couple pages. You got it. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. 
Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The chapter starts with hope. In fact, it starts with new life, new worship, new hope. (laughs) I don't know what was going through Eve's mind, but for you ladies who have had children, that is a traumatic time. This life is growing in you for nine months, and then, wow, what an ordeal. And God brings forth new life. Now, she knew it was coming. God had already told her, in pain, you're going to bring forth children. She had no idea, right? Who am I to speak? I've watched it. I've never experienced it. But when she saw it, she gave birth to Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting statement that has occasioned a lot of conversation. But bottom line, she seems to be looking back and saying, God, you promised that there's going to be descendants, and you promised that those descendants are ultimately going to bring some victory, some help, and God, you've done it. Yay, right? And what did she do after that? She just raised Cain. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I know. My kids say that too. She has hope. She expects that God is doing something wonderful. And in fact, the hope continues. It actually seems like it's getting better. Verse 2. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was the keeper of sheep. So we've got more kids now. Abel is a shepherd. And Cain is a farmer, a worker of the ground. Now, before we go on, we need to make a mental note here. Because Cain's occupation is a very honorable one. Because guess what? That's what God created Adam to do. Same words, worker of the ground. So it seems as if Cain is carrying on his father's occupation. He's, this is good. And what do they do? In the course of time, by the way, this is going really fast, isn't it? Baby. Occupations. Sometime later. Okay. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Good. Worship. Yes. Now, I don't know where they learned all that stuff, right? It doesn't tell us. Somehow they knew what to do. They knew what to bring. And you're saying, well, obviously they didn't know rightly because Cain did something wrong and God's not going to like it. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But somehow God has already communicated to them a lot of stuff that he didn't tell us that he told them. So they're bringing their offerings to the Lord. And they are worshiping God. We have seemingly the answer to promise... We have children. We have the hope that God is going to fulfill his promise of bringing the end to evil, sin, and suffering. And we have humanity in its infant stages worshiping God. Yes, life is good. Except there's a flaw. Or you might say there's a fly in the ointment, right? End of chapter 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain said, yes, I like that. Eh, I don't like that. How did they know that? I don't know. Was there fire from heaven on Abel's and not on Cain's? 
We don't know how he knew, but they clearly knew, and it didn't really set so well with Cain. Cain was angry, and his face fell. Now, I'd like to stop for just a moment and think about a question that Doug actually raised to me on the, in the car ride up here, because it's a question that I think we need to face, and that is, what makes Abel's sacrifice acceptable and Cain's sacrifice not acceptable? Is it because, and by the way, there's a lot of theories on this, but is it because Abel brought blood offering and Cain did not? Was there some obedience going on in here that we don't know about because we didn't really see it yet? We don't have the instructions yet? What's going on? And in fact, is Moses even telling us what's happening here? And to that question, I would say, yeah, I think he is. So I think if we read carefully, we'll see, but we have to read carefully from Israel's perspective. Now, if you are an Israelite coming out of Egypt and you're hearing this for the first time, what are you hearing? Well, you're hearing this in light of what Moses is also telling them, and that would be the rest of the law. So they're hearing it in light of the laws of sacrifice that they would have known and that they would have been learning at least as they're going through this. Now, there are some things here that you won't see as easily unless you can read the Hebrew. And so let me suggest one of those. In the course of time, Cain, this is verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord a offering. An offering. The Hebrew word here is minka. Why is that important? Well, because there are different kinds of offerings in the sacrificial system. There's several different, a number of different kinds of offerings. But a minka is a general offering. It can be used for a tribute. It can be used for a gift. But it is a general offering when it's given to God that can be consisting of either an animal or it can be roasted grain or it can be fine flour. In other words, it's not just a blood offering. It is a gift being given to God in tribute because God is king. Hmm. So is something from the field appropriate to give to God? And the answer is, yes, it is. In Israel's world, that's just fine. Is an animal appropriate to give God? Yes, in Israel's world, that's just fine. So what is the deal then? Well, read carefully. In this one you can notice. Verse 3, what did Cain bring? An offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, what did Abel bring? Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Do you see the difference? Cain brought some of his produce. Abel brought the first and the best. Some first and best. Do you get it? Hmm, okay. There's a second clue that we have here. God approved Abel's sacrifice. God did not approve Cain's sacrifice. What did Cain do? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. What did I do wrong? Why didn't you like it? Oh, I really want to please you. No, that's not what he did. What did he do? Arr, I can't believe he didn't do that. Right? He was angry. He was angry. Hmm. Is that what you expect if somebody really wants to please the king? Um, <laughs> you really want, guys, you really want to please your wife? Bring your flowers home. You bring them in, put them in a vase, put them on the table. Can't wait to see, have her see it. She walks in and she says, 
you're kidding me. You brought those to me? And you say, oh, that makes me mad. Now, if you really want to please her, is that what you say? Probably not. Of course, that's probably not what she's going to say either, but if you really want to please someone, if you fail at that attempt, it doesn't make you angry, it makes you sad. Hmm, okay. So God comes to him and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Notice he doesn't reply. We don't hear anything from Cain. <clears throat> if you do well, will, not your, uh, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you do the right thing, if you come to me with the right heart, you have acceptance. God is offering him grace. He's not saying, oh, you're dumb, get out of here. He's saying, you need to see the issues so that you can come to me appropriately and find acceptance. But there's a problem. Because if you don't do the right thing, you will be destroyed. Sin is pictured as this devouring beast standing outside the door, ready to devour him, ready to destroy him. But God says to Cain, you must rule over it. You have opportunity. You have a problem. You have sin on your doorstep. What are you going to do about it? And what does he do? Well, we know the story. He succumbs, right? He gives in. So what do we see so far? What's wrong with his sacrifice? It's not the first and the best. He's not really interested in pleasing God. He's not interested in making it right when he realizes he hasn't pleased God. Instead, what does he do? Verse 8. Cain spoke to his, spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? Now, i got to stop for a second. Have you ever wondered at how much God missed? God didn't know why he was angry. So he asked him, right? God didn't know where Abel was. So he asked him, right? Of course not. It wasn't that God didn't know why he was angry. He, God, it wasn't that God didn't know where Abel was. What was it? God continually offers opportunity. Cain. 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 Come to me. You know, it's like your kids, right? I remember uh, I spent a summer before I was married lived with my sister and, and her family <clears throat> and uh, was working in my brother-in-law's church. He was a pastor. Anyway, and my, <clears throat> my niece and nephew were just a little less, about a year apart, a little over a year apart. I don't remember exactly what it is, but they were about a year apart. Nephew was a little older, niece was a little younger. And uh, we were in the other room <clears throat> and we heard this whack. And then we heard this wah. And it was loud screaming, and my sister ran in the other room, and my niece had one of those big plastic wiffle ball bats behind her back like this, <clears throat> and my nephew was crying, 
And she said to my niece, she said, Chrissy, what did you do? Chrissy looked at her and she said, he hit himself. <laughs> Hiding. <clears throat> but not confession. What does Cain do? He hides. <clears throat> so he takes him out in the field and he murders him. And the Lord says, where is he? I don't know. Uh, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Now, there's, there's a few things that we probably ought to notice here, but let me, let me share one of them that I discovered in, uh, in my work. <clears throat> in the entire Old Testament, only one person is ever seen as the keeper of man. We're never said to be our brother's keeper. I didn't know that. God is the only one who keeps humanity. It's the only place it's ever mentioned. Not here, but another place. Which means, I'm not sure Cain is, I don't think the answer to Cain's question is, yes, of course you're your brother's keeper. Duh. I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is, in fact, I think his question has much more insidious intent here. I think what Cain is saying to God is, it's not my responsibility, that's yours. You must have fallen down on the job because you're not keeping track of Cain, of Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, that's not my job. It's your job. He is dissing the king. And God says, you know, that's really not the answer I was looking for. In fact, that's not really what we're talking about here. I know what happened to him. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. <clears throat> when we come to this section of scripture, when we, it starts with such hope. New life, new worship, new hope. It seems as if everything is going to finally get on track. We have the sin of chapter 3, and finally God is going to take care of everything, and it's going to be, you know... Jesus is the first one out. No, it's not the way God planned it. He doesn't, he doesn't fix the problem immediately. Sometimes I wonder about that, don't you? Don't you wonder why God doesn't fix our problems right away? Instead, he chooses to teach us who he is and how we need to follow him. So what we see is conflict, warning, and ultimately death. All of these are heart issues. We've seen the heart issue in terms of Cain's sacrifice, that it wasn't really from the heart. It wasn't giving God his best. It wasn't really trying to please God first and foremost, which is what worship is, but not what Cain is doing. It wasn't so that God would be exalted, but it was so that Cain would look good perhaps and he was not willing to come to God in repentance 
even when his sin is pointed out, but rather self-protection and hiding. And yet God is incredibly gracious. Cain is driven away. Did he have to be? No. He could have come back to God. How do we know that? Well, we know that from the text because of the questions God asks. He offers him, if you do what is right, there is acceptance. But even after the murder, God is gracious in protecting him. But Cain has seemingly no desire to follow God. Make just another interesting observation here. He says, verse 14, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So the first point, you've driven me away today from the ground. That's true. God cursed him so that he could no longer experience the success in raising his crops and whatever he was doing as he had before. So there's going to be an ongoing consequence to his sin. But the second statement seems also to be true, but not the way sometimes we might think about it. From your face I shall be hidden. Is Cain necessarily hidden from the face of God? No. He's hidden from the face of God because he chooses not to come to God. He goes away. And what does he do when he goes away? He went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. By the way, Nod simply means wandering. God says you're going to be a vagrant and wanderer, so he goes in the land of wandering. But he doesn't do what you expect. So the third section of this passage. I call this cities, technology, and kingship. Now that takes a little bit of explanation, but let's think about it a little bit. Let's read it first. Verses uh, 17 through 24. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahuthiel, and Mahuyel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two. Isn't this exciting? (laughs) Don't you love genealogies? Did you know we were in a genealogy? That's what chapter four is, it's a genealogy. Why is that important? Well, let me tell you in a minute. Let me come back to the text first. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah, Ada bore Yavel. By the way, I should pronounce it Englishly instead of Hebrewly, but that's, um, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, or Yuval. He was the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tuval Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tuval Cain was Nama. <clears throat> I'll stop there. So, what's he doing with this? Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord, and what does he build? A city. So, in the ancient world, um, when civilization begins, and this is the... Um, 
expectation really all the way across the ancient world, but we see it probably most pronounced in Mesopotamia, but we see it we see it really all the way across. And when we're thinking ancient world, we're thinking Mesopotamia through Canaan and into Egypt. That's kind of the main contours of the ancient world. In the ancient world, when civilization begins, the, the city or the idea of civilization comes from the gods and is given to the king to establish in that ancient world. So cities are seen as a gift of the gods. What also is seen as the gift of the gods? Technology. Um, pastoralism, um, the, the arts, all of these things are gifts from the gods to make life more bearable, to make life better for humanity. What do we see here? This is not a gift of the gods. This is not a gift of God. What is it? It is Cain moving away from God, developing the city and his descendants developing the arts and technology and pastoralism. And they're doing it in a context, probably in the context of kingship. Now remember, God had created humanity as his images to rule. If you remember chapter one of Genesis. Cain is doing what God called him to do in a sense, but he's not ruling as God's image bearer. He's not ruling as a representative of God. He's ruling for himself, and he's setting up his own kingdom. He's setting up his own city. Why? Well, I think the implication probably is to make life better for himself because he's away from God. He is medicating himself. He is providing a means by which he can lessen the pain of being away from God, the lessen the pain of the judgment God has brought so that he doesn't have to think about it, so he doesn't have to worry about it because now he's in control. And technologies do the same. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of benefits to cities. To being, you know, all together and all the things that we can do as humanity... There's a lot of benefits to technology. I love technology. There, I love the arts. I love all the stuff that that provides. But what else does it provide? It deadens our need for God. Provides distraction from the real necessity of my heart. And dealing with the consequences of sin in my life and in my world. And our world believes that if we just work better together, somehow we can fix all this. And if we just apply the right technology, artificial intelligence is going to fix it for us, right? Although even some of them are saying, no, that's actually going to destroy us. Because all of these things, apart from God, only make the destruction of our sin more inevitable. Can God use those things and redeem them for his purposes? Sure. The problem is here in our hearts. And it takes us farther and farther from God. So how do we see that? Well, we actually see that in the next few verses. Verses 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ad and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. 
I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. All right, another puzzling one. First of all, in your, in your text, as you look at your Bibles, verses 23 and 24, did you notice in your Bibles that it's set differently? The type of face is different. It's kind of indented, and it's not like it's just regular paragraph. Did you notice that? That means this is poetry. In the Hebrew text, it's poetry. Why is that important? Well, because... What Lamech is doing, this descendant of Cain, right? Seven generations down, descendant of Cain. What he's doing is he composed a song or a poem. Possibly, probably a song, but maybe just a poem. And what is he doing? He's celebrating. He's singing a song that is about his conquest. And what did he do? Murder. He murdered man. Why? Oh, because he's justified. This guy hurt him. Well, let me show you another, another observation that would be harder for you to see. Turn over to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. <clears throat> In the law, God provides the nation of Israel with... A number of boundaries, a, a number of, of fences to keep them civilized, to keep them within the confines of what we would say would be appropriate in terms of justice. In Exodus 21, verse 25, <clears throat> he provides a very familiar, um, a very familiar law that actually I'll start in verse 23. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That, that law has been called talionic justice, or lex talionis is the Latin, because what he's basically doing is saying the punishment fits the crime. So if a certain crime is committed, then the punishment should be commensurate with the crime that was committed. It shouldn't be overly harsh, nor should it be unduly uh, soft. It needs to be appropriate in order to bring appropriate justice. Now, there are times for grace, and that's a whole other story. The reason I point you to that is because two of the words in there show up here in our passage. Back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, Lamech says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So two of the ways that Moses describes this, or God through Moses describes this for the nation of Israel is, you should have wound for wound, blow for blow. Those are the two words used here. Now, if he was wounded, then perhaps the appropriate justice would be a wound. What does Lamech do? Kills him. That's a little harsh, wouldn't you say? What is Moses showing us by using those terms here? I believe he's showing us that what Lamech is doing is way over the top. It is not justice, it is vengeance. 
but he is claiming justice and he's claiming, I'm just doing what I ought to do. And then it gets worse. Verse 24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Back in the beginning part of the chapter, when God brought judgment upon Cain, and Cain says, oh, this is too much, I can't do it, and in fact, somebody sees me, kills me. What did God say? No, they won't. And God put a mark on Cain. We don't know what that is, but somehow God marked him, God put a sign on him, so if anybody shows up and tries to kill him, who's going to do that? Well, According to the law, it would be the closest relative. So you assume, since at this point we have a pretty small family, don't know how many kids they have at this point, it would be one of the brothers who's saying he deserves to die because of what he's done. Did they know about it? Well, yeah, actually in the next few verses we're going to see that Eve knows all about it. So he puts the sign on Cain and he says, if anybody brings vengeance upon you, then he will be avenged seven times completely, fully. And there is this recognition that God is sovereignly protecting Cain in spite of Cain's intransigence. So, what does Lamech do? He pronounces, the, he pronounces his own uh, protection and basically says, I guarantee you, if anybody comes after me, he's going to get it 77 times. Far worse than Cain would have gotten it. Who pronounced it for Cain? God did. Who pronounced it for Lamech? Lamech did. Lamech is putting himself in the place of God. Lamech Lamech is elevating his own importance, his own rule, and I think that's probably what's going on here. I think he is a king. He is a ruler, and he's, he's basically pronouncing his own justice and his own vengeance and saying, I guarantee my own safety, and this is who I am. I think we can call that self-worship. He puts himself in the place of God. So, what have we seen here? I think we see a progression. It's really a progression of the heart. We see from Cain, the beginning, false worship. It's not that he is blatantly worshiping false gods. It's that he is simply offering to God a formalistic worship that is not true worship at all. That moves into self-protection when it's called out. Self-promotion is what we see the humanity doing after that. And then finally, Lamech is the most blatant of all of this. In self-promotion, he takes it so far as to put himself in the place of God. But that's what humanity does. In fact, if we go back to chapter 3 and the original sin, humanity wanted to be like God. And we've been doing that ever since. We want to take God's place in our own lives. And God says, no. Number one, we're not equipped to do that. We simply can't. We try and we die. This false worship, self-protection, self-promotion, self-worship, this, this spiral away from God leads to death, necessarily, because apart from God, we will 
die. There is no other option because he is life. And life is only found in his presence in true worship. This is the end of the line for Cain's line. Sounds weird, but it's true, right? It's the end of the line. Cain's descendants end here. We see no more. Why? Well, we'll find that out in a couple of chapters, but basically, they die in the flood. There's no more. Only, only the line of Seth, Noah and his wife and his two sons and two daughters-in-law, the eight of them, that's all there is. So what happens? <clears throat> 25 and 26. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. All right, so before we say much more about it, I just want to notice that at the end, they end in true worship. They began to call on the name of the Lord. At the beginning, they start off with worship. At the beginning, there, was, there were two sons born. At the end, there are two sons born. This narrative is framed by worship and life and hope. In fact, in both cases, we have a statement of Eve. I've begotten a man with the help of the Lord. And with Seth, she said, I've got another one because God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Here's the replacement. Hope again. In fact, in both cases, I think she is recognizing that God is at work to fulfill his promise. How's it going to happen? I don't know yet, but Lord, how are you going to do this? But then the implication of that is, if the, if the text is framed by worship, what do we have in the middle? We have man apart from God, trying to live by their own ingenuity and coming up with some wonderful things that all lead to death. Whereas hope is found in true worship. New life, new worship, real hope. Because that hope in worship is an issue of God working in hearts. <clears throat> it ends by, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It began with Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices to God. It ends with humanity, at least some of them, Calling on the name of the Lord. Now, when I think about that phrase, I'd like to stop for just a moment and say, what are they doing? To call on the name of the Lord shows up a number of times throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It shows up in terms of prayer, of course. Help, Lord. It also shows up in terms of, <clears throat> of offering to God um, our worship in a public proclamation. It also shows up in terms of submission to him. And I would suggest that this is really encapsulating all of that and saying what we're seeing here is humanity publicly worshiping but proclaiming their submission to God as king. 
that's in direct contrast to what we've seen throughout the entire narrative up to this point. We're dealing here with heart issues and we're recognizing that that worship from the heart is where God wants us to, to go and to see because the issue of the heart, that is the thing that comes out of the heart, is either appropriate worship or to self-protection. So one of the things that I was thinking about as I was meditating on this passage and trying to think it through and, and what is it that Moses wants Israel to hear because I think part of what he wants them to hear has to do with this whole concept of worship. I think that's the big issue here. <clears throat> but as I was thinking about that, it seems to me that he has given us here several things that show us, number one, what doesn't work for worship, what isn't appropriate worship, what is not helpful in worship. And that is, if I'm not trying to give God my best, it's not really, the, it's not really worship. If I'm just giving him something to get him off my back, or to say, this will take care of it, right? I've done my job, you know, put my, put my, uh, my offering in the plate as a as simply a, yeah, I, I paid the fee to go to church. It's kind of like your ticket to the movie. Is that worship? No, it's not worship. Am I giving to God my best? My time? My skills? My service? Am I giving to God my best? True worship does. Now, that doesn't mean I give him everything necessarily, because... Most of the people in scripture are having jobs as well, right? Sometimes we have the privilege, Doug and I, of serving in a, a better way. We get to do this all the time. What an amazing thing. I actually have gotten paid for a long time to study God's word and to tell others about it. That's incredible. I wish y'all could experience that. Some of you don't really want to, but that's okay. God didn't call you to do that. But we also recognize my heart, and this is really the issue, isn't it? How do I tell if my heart, how do I see, how do I understand if my heart is truly responding to God appropriately? And one of the ways I need to see it is, is how do I respond when I'm convicted? When I'm reading God's word and I see, that's you, John. How do I respond? Does it make me mad or does it make me sad? Do I come to God in repentance or do I try to cover up and get rid of the problem? If I'm more concerned about my welfare than God's pleasure, it's not worship. If I'm more concerned about dealing with the problems that I'm feeling by fixing my world than going to God in repentance and asking him for help, that's not worship. Now, we know this, but if anything takes God's place in my life, that's idolatry. But see, all those things can easily take God's place in my life. And if anything else doesn't, sometimes I'm the one that I'm lifting up above God. It's idolatry. Real life is only found in walking with God. And that's what we'll see. Genesis 5, Genesis 6, Genesis 12, Genesis 17. 
real life, God's blessing, God's best, my thriving in this world is only found in walking with God. Is God still at work? Yeah, he is. He's calling us to him. He doesn't give up on us. Isn't that amazing? Ever. He always offers. We can always come in repentance. Even when we look back and say, I was in idolatry. Yes. I was shaking my fist in the face of God. Yes. Come to him. All of this actually is leading us to the obvious. To the cradle and the cross. Because it wasn't Cain, obviously. Thank the Lord for that. It wasn't Seth. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't really Israel. Although God used all of them, particularly Abraham, Israel, to show the world who he was so that they could come to him in true worship and find life and hope. But ultimately, all of those fell short. And so he brought Jesus. He brought Jesus to fulfill, to complete his entire program to provide real life, to provide real hope. And he gave his life on the cross so that our sins could be fully forgiven. We come to him because of his grace to us. Not just a sign, yeah, somebody will get hurt worse if they hurt you. No. A son because he took it and he gives us life. So even as we come into this season, we think about Thanksgiving, we thank God for his goodness and ultimately for his gift of Jesus. Not because Christmas is the end, but because it's the beginning. It's the birth and Easter's coming and he's coming back. So when I think about Cain and Abel, I think about the heart. And I think about my heart and I ask God, Lord, show me my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting that I might know you, that I might walk with you. And Lord, forgive me for the times when I don't want to hear it and help me to hear your voice in my world. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you that you have given to us your precious and magnificent promises. That even as we, we view what is such a tragic scene of Cain killing Abel, of Cain's descendants moving farther and farther from you, 
we also recognize that in the midst of that, you're still alive, you're still at work, and you are moving in hearts to bring true worship to your creation and hope as they proclaim your name, as they bow in submission publicly. And Lord, the same is true today. Lord, help us to proclaim your name well. Help us to bow in submission and help us to see your work in our hearts and in our world to bring about life, hope, blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. Well, we have an opportunity to um, focus our worship right now on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ came here and lived a perfect and righteous life for you. He died a substitutionary death for you. He rose victoriously for you. He is in heaven right now interceding for you. And we have two signs of the church that point us to Christ and his work. One we'll see next week is baptism, where a person goes into the water and represents Christ's death, and they come out of the water and they represent his resurrection. And a second sign that we have is the table before me, Lord's Table or Communion. And the communion service, as we take the communion service, there are some faiths that teach that Christ is being re-crucified um, time after time. We do not believe that. That is unscriptural. Jesus Christ died once for sins. And when he died, he said, it is what? Finished. But what we do do is we celebrate what he's done for us. Uh, come together in faith. It's a family meal, and we take part in this fellowship together. We look at the fact that we are forgiven in Christ. We look at the fact that we have freedom in Christ. We look at the fact that we have a family in Christ. We look forward to the freedom and the hope and the future in Christ. But we celebrate. We look back, look present, and then we look ahead. Uh, so I'm going to ask the men to come forward, and as they come forward, they're going to pass out these cups to you. You'll see a, a wafer bread underneath, two cups, and the um, drink um, in the cup. Uh, we're going to have them handed out. We're going to sing a song, and then I'll come back up. The one thing I will say is that as they're handing it out is this. The only... Uh, element here is that you have to be a person of faith. You do not have to be a member of our church. You have to be a person that is in Christ, and he is the one that is um, offering, and if we're celebrating his service today. Let's pray as they hand out the elements. Father, I thank you for the fact that in spite of the cane within all of us, uh, the rebel that was within all of us who wants to be self-promoting and self-protecting and self-worshipping. I thank you that you did something new in people's hearts. You gave them a new heart, a new heart to have a new life, uh, to have new hope, uh, to have new joy. Um, that came through the person and work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank you for him. We celebrate him right now. And Father, as we take these elements, I pray that you would help us to think back to what Christ has done, look ahead to what Christ will do, and praise him in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Christ was betrayed and delivered. It says this, for I received from the Lord, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, what I deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took a cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you drink with me? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I praise you. I praise your son. I praise your spirit. I praise you for all that you do. But we sing glory and honor to your son. He was the true second Adam. He was the one that fulfilled your law perfectly. He was the one that was willing to sacrifice himself for our sins, take your wrath upon him. We praise you today. We praise you that he was willing to have his body broken, his blood shed, so that we could be saved. 
We praise you for the forgiveness that we have. We praise you for the freedom that we have. We praise you for the ultimate future that we have, that we can have real hope, real joy, real peace. So, Lord, I thank you for the stories that you give us from the scriptures, historical messages, to tell us about our greatest problem and point us to the only solution, your son. So today, I pray that we would worship him and honor him. I thank you for Pastor and and his wife, Father. Thank you for their ministry at Lancaster and at Capitol. We pray for them as they move forward by your grace to help um, men lead ministries uh, worldwide. I pray that you pour your protection upon this family. I pray that you would pour your spirit upon them and use them in mighty ways that they can't even imagine. And I pray that you're going to be glorified in all we do. I pray that as we walk out of here, I pray that we would hear of Cain, we would hear of a cross, and I pray that we would hear of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we leave? From Jude, we just preached through this passage just weeks ago. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, have a blessed week.